Please, and we'll begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before you. Uh, as we've said earlier, we're just so grateful for your loving kindness. We're in awe of you, Father, of your wisdom, of your plan, and your mercy. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be gathered here on this uh, Sabbath evening of this uh, last great day. And we pray, Father, that you'll bless our study. We pray that you'll bless the conversation that comes out of the study. And we pray, God, that these words of Jesus Christ will transform us. We ask for your help in that regard. We praise you, and we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, brethren, please be seated. I want to um, go back to Matthew 24. We we did cover that uh, earlier this feast. I covered it on trumpets. There's just so much here. Um, I want to focus, though, on the last 10 verses of Matthew 24, and I want to use those verses as a, as a jumping-off point for a conversation. That I want us to have a conversation that stems from what we read in the last 10 verses of Matthew 24. But I want to make sure that we have the full context. So I want to read all of Matthew 24 to lead into the last 10 verses so we have the full context. But before I read Matthew 24, I want to read the first 10 verses of Matthew 25. It's a bit of a circuitous route, but I want to make sure we have context. I want us to think of the first 10 verses of Matthew 25 uh, in a sense as the, it's not truly this way, but think of it as the closing bracket of the opening bracket to the questions that the disciples had, which was about timing. And then Christ is answering their question about timing, and and that leads into this parable in Matthew 25, where we read here in verse 1, at this time. So at the end of all of his answering, he says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, while the bridegroom tarried. And that's a very important phrase. So the return of Christ, it's not going to happen when we think it's going to happen. That there's every indication that we're going to be worn out. That we think it's going to be, surely it's this year, for sure. And then it's not going to happen. And then there's going to be all kinds of signs and wonders, and it's like there's no way that we can go any further. Like it's certainly going to be this year, and it's not going to happen. And eventually the saints are just going to get worn out. And so his answer to the disciples is, is significant that it's about timing and not getting worn out, enduring to the end. And so he concludes the whole passage by saying that when the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And that's the problem. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go you out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise. And it's interesting that the foolish virgins are virgins. So when we read the 144,000, we read that the last study we did on, on divorce and remarriage, that there's, there are spiritual virgins. And in the betrothal period, they're faithful. They're, they're not messing around spiritually. And so they are faithful in the betrothal period, so they're not divorced. But these are foolish virgins. So they're faithful, but they're foolish. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go you rather to them that sell, so there are those that have the ability to sell this, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. So this is really, think of this as the conclusion to the question that the disciples asked. When shall these things be? And so what Christ, the whole answer that Christ is giving them is don't be deceived. It's not going to happen when you think it's going to happen. It's going to take longer. And, and when you think it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. And when you think it's not going to happen, that's when it's going to happen. So that's, that's really the answer to the question. Let's go back now and, and read Matthew 24. But I want to, I really hate the fact that Matthew 24 begins where it begins. I really think they should have uh, ended Matthew 23 in verse 3 of Matthew 24 so that it's very clear this is part of a, a previous passage. But let's just quickly go back to Matthew 23, 37. Or 36, truly I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. So he's cursed Jerusalem. And in 37, he says, Jerusalem, you, you kill the prophets and you stone them that are sent to you. I would have protected you, but you wouldn't have it. And so your house is left to you desolate. And then there's the good news that you will see me again and you will say, blessed is my coming. So now with that, we come into Matthew 24. And I'm just going to more or less read this because I want to get to the bottom of Matthew 24, the last 10 verses. But I want to make sure that we study those last 10 verses in context, that we understand why Christ is saying what he says in the last 10 verses. He says here, uh, he went out and he departed from the temple, and his disciples showed him the buildings of the temple to show that, hey, we still are a blessed nation. And he says, no, they're going to be completely destroyed. And then they ask him, when shall these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? So they ask him three questions. He's going to answer all three questions. But he starts with, take heed that no man deceive you. So there's there's a, a deception that has to do with timing. It's not general deception. It's not, don't let anybody deceive you about the Trinity. Don't let anybody deceive you about heaven and hell. That's not the conversation. The conversation is, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? The other thing as well is, this passage is not uh, an, an encyclopedic answer to all the things that are going to happen in the end time. It's an answer to what's going to happen to Jerusalem. That that's, that's, he cursed Jerusalem, and the disciples are asking, when shall these things be? So Christ is answering the questions that they asked around Jerusalem and Judea. So let's not use this as an encyclopedic treatise on what's going to happen all over the world, everywhere, and a comprehensive answer. It's not that. We can go to other prophecies in Revelation, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and we can put them all together to get an understanding of what's going to happen to North America and what's going to happen all over the world. But let's be, let's keep the context here. He's answering three questions that they asked him. All three questions have to do with timing. The deception has to do with timing. The virgins fall asleep and they miss the timing. It's all about timing. So take heed that no man can deceive, that no man will deceive you, because many are going to come in my name saying I'm Christ. You're going to hear wars and rumors of wars, and you're going to think because of these wars, this is the time. 
don't be troubled. These things must happen. The end is not yet. This is not the end yet. He goes on to say, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in different places. All of this is just the beginning. It's the beginning of birth pangs. Ultimately, it's good news. There will be a birth, but it's just the beginning. Don't, in other words, don't get excited. This is a long haul. This is, this is a marathon that we're running. And, and there are going to be deceivers that are going to get you excited thinking everything's going to happen right away. It's not. Let's, let's buckle up. It's going to be a long haul. So all of this is just the beginning. They're going to deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So verse 9, we have to go back and re- re- relate verse 9 to verse 34 of Matthew 23. So when he says that they shall kill you, the they is who he was just talking to. So in verse 34 of Matthew 23, he says to them, Behold, I send you, Jerusalem, prophets and wise men and scribes, and my disciples. I'm going to send you my disciples. And some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Why? So that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. So by doing this, by killing the disciples that he sends, they become guilty of all the blood that has ever been shed. And they prove that they are children of their fathers. So Matthew, Matthew 24 and verse 9, the they are the wicked Jews in Jerusalem and Judea, the, the wicked leadership of Judea, and the you are his disciples that he's sending to be destroyed by the Jews. And this time then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. So the many are his disciples. We are grafted into Judah. We are spiritual Jews. It's not a few. It's many. So for us to sit here and say, yes, I know it's many, but that's not me. I'm too righteous to fall into that category. This is overconfidence. I think we need to be very, very concerned about the prophetic word against us. The prophetic word against us is that when this heats up, and yes, he's talking about Jerusalem, but by extension and by other prophecies, this is going to be all over the world. And the followers of Christ, anybody who follows Christ, will be persecuted. And Christ is saying when this persecution comes, his followers will become betrayers. So let's not be overconfident. And any cracks in our relationships today, any despising that we have of brethren today, we might as well put our hand up and say, I'm a likely candidate to become a betrayer. The only way we can have any sort of confidence that we would not fall into this category is if we're following Matthew 18 and that we would never despise any little one in Christ's body, that we would esteem them higher than ourselves. If, if we are growing in that way, I think we can have some confidence in Christ. But if we're in conflict with our own brethren, with Christ's body, and we're despising the body of Christ, let's put our hand up and say, I'm a likely Judas here. I'm a likely betrayer. Because it's many. 
It's not a few. And I want to come back to this later. This is how, the conversation I want to have with you later is how do we mitigate against the prophetic word against us? The word against us is that we will become betrayers when the persecution really heats up. So the conversation I want to have is how do we make sure? Because he doesn't say all. He says many. So it doesn't have to be us. But I think we have to be doing something to make sure it's not us. And that's the conversation I want to have when we get to the bottom of this. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. And again, um, this offended, scandalizo, you have to go to Matthew 18. What he's talking about here, he already instructed them about the scandalizo in Matthew 18. So that uh, study that we did on Matthew 18 fits here. So then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And then he gives the parable at the end of Matthew 18 of the great king that forgives the debt, but then that one that was forgiven goes and exacts, precisely give me everything that you owe, and the person owes them nothing. And when the king hears of this, he destroys that, that servant. He says, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And it's going to be about timing. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So this is the agape. This is not the love of people in the world. This is the agape of spiritual Jews. It's going to wax cold. Because this word iniquity, let's call it a Torah-lessness. It's not general lawlessness. It's departing from the Torah. So again, in terms of mitigation, we should be getting into the Torah. And we should be ensuring that our lives conform to Torah and not come up with all these compromises. And I know God says this, but we're going to do this anyway. And I, this is, this is my opinion. No. If Torah says it, if God says it, we do it. Because the world is going away from Torah. The, the, the world is becoming unrecognizable in terms of anything to do with God. So because Torahlessness shall abound, the agape of many shall wax cold. We've got to stop with deep departing from the Torah. Stop making up our own ideas and stick to the Torah. But he that shall endure to the end, think Matthew 18. Matthew 18 deals with internal betrayal and how we should conduct ourselves when we're betrayed internally. Think Matthew 18. He that shall Matthew 18 until the end, that's the one that will be saved. And this good news of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. And we have to know what, what is this good news of the kingdom, but this is what's going to be preached. And if you go to, I think it's in Revelation, I forget which chapter now, but, but we will do what we can do. But ultimately, there's going to be an angel of God that's going to take this good news of the kingdom and spread it to the whole world. So no one will be able to say they didn't hear. And then shall the end come. So he's answering their question, when shall the end come? When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, and we spoke about this at the beginning of the feast, the abomination of desolation, the 70 times 7, the purpose of it is to remove wickedness from Jacob. So this abomination that makes desolate, it's going to completely punish the iniquity in Jerusalem, but then God will come. At this time, it will drive true repentance, and God will come and gather the truly repentant. 
and that's going to fulfill Deuteronomy 30. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso reads, let him understand. So you've got to understand this, because when this happens, the conclusion that most people will come to, God has forsaken Jerusalem. When it's the exact opposite, that if you understand the prophecy of Daniel and the understanding that was given to Daniel, this is not because God has abandoned Jerusalem. This is because God is cleansing Jerusalem, and he's coming to restore Jerusalem. So whoever reads this prophecy, get the understanding, because it was given to Daniel by Gabriel, we need to have it. Then let them which be in Judea, so those that are in Judea, if you're not in Judea, you don't run. You stand your ground. But because of the prophetic word that Satan is trying to work against, if you are in Judea, you flee. And if we look at Revelation 12, a place of safety is going to be provided for these physical people so that God can fulfill his word to Jerusalem. But if you're not in Jerusalem, we're not in Jerusalem, we stand our ground. And if that means we die, we die. But we cannot have every Jew in Jerusalem destroyed because then God cannot fulfill his promise. So the advice to those in Jerusalem at this time, this is the thorough cleansing, but there will be a remnant. So if you're in Jerusalem or in Judea, flee for your life. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. So that's a way of uh, they would uh, fellowship and entertain on the roof. But if you're there, just flee. This is urgent. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And again, if we look in Isaiah, uh, God is going to restore those that are with child and them that give suck. But the ruthlessness here, these Jews are not going to be considered human beings. And, and the, the slaughter of them will be merciless. And woe unto them that, that are hindered with, with child, because they're not considered human, and they're going to be slaughtered. But pray you that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. And Jerusalem deserves it. The people of Israel deserve it. This, this is the covenant agreement. And so this, this uh, a tribulation is fulfilling the prophetic word. But it's not going to make a, a complete end. He says here, it'll be great tribulation, Daniel speaks about this, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. And he's talking about Jerusalem and Judea. This is not worldwide, you know, a nuclear war is going to wipe out all life on earth. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that Jerusalem and the cities of Judea are, are the target. And the abomination that makes desolate is to wipe out all life, all Jewish life, all Jewish souls in Judea. But because of the promise that God has to the fathers, he's not going to allow that. If the devil had his way, he would wipe out completely the Jews in Judea. God is going to step in for the elect's sake. The elect are, we covered that with Romans 11, the elect are the physical people of God, uh, of the descendants of Abraham. So for the elect's sake, for their sake, he will stop, he'll cut it short. Then, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it. 
For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And, and there's no very elect in the Greek. It's just they'll deceive the elect. And so the deception here is that there's going to be a claim that Christ has returned. The Jews in Judea, Jerusalem and Judea, are being slaughtered. They're being white. This is, this is genocide. And while this genocide is taking place, the claim is that Christ has returned. Do not be deceived. If you understand the covenant, Christ would never be on earth while the genocide of his people is taking place. He's returning to stop the genocide. So you, you, you don't, don't be deceived. Even the elect, and if you um, read, there's, there's pro, the prophetic word in Deuteronomy, but also in Isaiah, where the elect say, it's because of our transgressions that God has forsaken us. It's because of our transgressions that God has forsaken Jerusalem. So this is what they come to believe, that they are God forsaken. And they're beginning to believe this. But we mustn't believe it. We must believe that God is faithful to his covenant, and there's no way he would be on earth while the genocide of his people is taking place. He's coming to rescue them, not genocide them. He says, behold, I've told you before. I've told you before. Don't be deceived by this. Therefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, do not go forth. So again, we have to ask ourselves, who would make the claim that Christ is in the desert? Who would make the claim that there's a temple or some sort of religious system that is prioritized over, over Judea and it's in the desert? And, and the, these same people would be surrounding Jerusalem with armies. Don't fall for it. Behold, he is in the secret chambers of their, their worship system. Don't believe it. Because as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles or the vultures be gathered together. So you, when you see a dead body, you see the vultures gather. Okay? Those that have accepted the slain Lamb of God, when he returns, they will all be with him. So don't believe anybody who says, again, we're watching the genocide, and they're saying, oh, yes, Christ is in the desert. And so we think, yeah, I guess this is true. Like this, these are no, these cannot be the people of God. Look how they're being slaughtered and humiliated. Let's go with the people who are being glorified and honored, and they happen to be in the desert. And they say Christ is there, and there's signs and wonders. So let's go there. No. Christ is coming to rescue the elect, and when he comes, he gathers them from the four corners of the earth. Those that accept his sacrifice. Those that don't, oh well. And so those that accept his sacrifice will be gathered. And of course, we will be prioritized because we have the Holy Spirit now. But even the physical people of, of Israel will be gathered from the four corners of earth that repent and accept the sacrificed lamb. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And this is in Revelation, it's in Isaiah, I believe it's in Jeremiah as well, in, in, uh, perhaps in Amos as well. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. 
after the tribulation. So God does not respond until after the tribulation. He stops the tribulation. He cuts the tribulation short. Don't be looking for God during the tribulation. Don't be looking for his return during the genocide. He stops the genocide. He would never return while the genocide is taking place. He comes and he puts it to an end. But there will be a remnant saved. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. So this is when we know he's acting now. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. None of these things can the Gentiles control. These are things that God has under his control. And this is what we're looking for to say. These are the, so they're saying, what are the signs of the end of the world? This is it. And the sign of your coming. And then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. That's the time when I'll come. Not before. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. The return of Jesus Christ is not good news for the Gentiles. It's horrible news for the Gentiles. This is the worst thing that could happen, the return of Christ. It's only good news for his people because he's coming to rescue his people. To the Gentiles who who thought that their system was going to last forever, this is horrible. So the tribes of the earth, the Gentiles, this is bad news. Revelation 1, I believe it's verse 7, says they shall wail. The, the, The Gentiles will wail because of him. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory to put down the Gentiles. When Christ comes, he's coming to make war against the Gentiles and to rescue his people. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather, we we studied this uh, earlier in the feast, who, who is being gathered, they shall gather together his elect, the elect that were almost deceived, thinking they were God forsaken. He shall gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, and that's fulfilling the prophetic word of Moses in Deuteronomy. And, and keep this in mind, there's a gathering. So Christ is coming and there's a gathering. And where the carcass is, that's where the vultures will be, those who depend upon the blood of the lamb. Now, let's get into the final section here. Question's all about timing. And so he says, now, I want you to learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise you, so it's just like us now, the beautiful colors of the trees, we know that winter is near. The cold is coming. So with them, when they see the fig tree putting forth, they know summer's coming, the heat is coming. He says, in the same way, when you shall see all these things, these things that he's outlined, know that it is near even at the doors. So there are these things that are, that are starting to happen that are the beginning of sorrows. We should know that it's near. It's even at the doors. Truly I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So everything is going to be fulfilled in one generation. And the indication uh, from Deuteronomy is that a generation is 40 years. That's in, uh, around 40 years as a generation. We don't know exactly, but it's all going to happen within the one generation. So it's going to accelerate. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Okay, so it's all going to happen like this. And then he says this. 
But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, and we talked about this earlier on the first day, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. So he gave them the whole instruction, and they witnessed the confrontation with the Pharisees around divorce and remarriage. The Pharisees weren't asking him to find out what should we do. They were asking him to tempt him. They didn't care about what he taught. And now he's saying to his disciples, they should have cared about what I taught. So they're going to carry on with what they're doing, marrying, giving in marriage, divorcing, treating the women like garbage, until the day that Noah entered into into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So this is talking about Jerusalem. Although he's using Noah as the example, the subject is Jerusalem. They will have no idea what's coming. But his disciples should know. When we see these things, we should know, wow, it's near. The destruction, the abomination of desolation is near because we see the signs. And then, the, so this word took is important. It's uh, the Greek word iro, and it means to destroy. So they didn't know until the flood came and it destroyed them all. He says, this is how the coming of the Son of Man shall be. Remember, he cursed, he cursed the Pharisees. He cursed Jerusalem. He says, your house is left to you desolate. So the abomination that makes desolate is going to be like the flood of Noah's time. And it's going to take them all away. So he says this. This is how the, son, the coming of the Son of Man. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. So this taken now is not the same as the took in verse 39. This taken is paralambano, and it really means to receive to oneself. And it has the imagery of where the carcass is, there the vultures will be gathered. It has the imagery of, I will gather my elect from the four corners of the earth. So two will be in the field, and you almost have the vision here of two Jewish slaves will be working because the the beast power has power control over them. So two will be enslaved. One will be taken, the other left. So this taken now is he's returning and he's gathering his elect. Two, two, it says two women. It's just two, two will be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, paralambano, brought to himself, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not, it's all about timing. The whole passage is about timing. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But this is what you do know. So you don't know when I'm coming, but here's what you do know. And this is what I wanted to focus on today. And, and have a conversation with you about. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. So, there's a good man of the house. In fact, let's just go there. He talked about the good man of the house already. Let's go to Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 20. Yes, we were here the other day. 
Matthew 20 just finished instructing them about the good men of the house. So this is where he goes and he hires laborers. And uh, at the 11th hour, he hires the final set of laborers. And then he calls all the laborers to be paid. And when the first saw what the last were paid and that they were paid the same, uh, they were very upset. And uh, they say here in verse 11, And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house. So, so there is a position called the good man of the house. In, in Greek, it's oiko despotes, which is the head of the, the head of the household, the head of the family. So the, the good man of the house is not everybody. Everybody can't be the good man of the house. When, when these, uh, laborers were upset, they didn't talk to the whole family. They talked to the good man of the house. So let's go back now to Matthew 24. And we were in verse 43. So we don't know when he's going to come. We have to watch because we don't know when he's going to come. But this is something that we do know, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. So the thief is coming to take something away. The thief comes to take what is valuable. So if you have a household and you have treasure in your household, you have valuable items in your household, the thief is studying the house, studying the routines of the house, when the lights come on, when they go off, when people go to bed, when they wake up. So he's got the routine figured out, and he knows when to break in. And when he breaks in, he's not breaking in to waste his time. He's breaking in to take out what is valuable. So if we are a household of God, we have something valuable. The thief is coming to take it away. What's valuable is our faith. Now, he says he's coming like a thief in the night. So his coming will take away faith from the household. Because his coming doesn't just mean his return. The abomination of, that makes desolate is part of the package. The great tribulation is part of the package of his return. So everything that precedes his actual returning to earth, that's part of his coming. And that's going to come suddenly, without warning. When we think it's peace and safety, then sudden destruction. That's the thief. And if people are not watching and studying and understanding, they will lose faith. So his coming is like this thief in the night that is going to take the faith away. And if we had known when this was going to happen, we would have watched, or the good men of the house would have watched, and he wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken up. This house to be broken up, let's go back up to verse 10. That what's going to happen, verse 10 says, then shall many be scandalized. They're not going to follow Matthew 18. And they shall betray one another and shall hate one another. This is the household being broken up. And if the good men of the house knew when Christ was going to come, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. In verse 12, because iniquity, lawlessness, toralessness shall abound, the agape of many waxes cold. The thief takes the agape. It's gone. It was there, and it was wonderful, and then it was taken away. 
So he says here, he's speaking to his disciples, the apostles, and he says, if the good men of the house would have known, he would have never allowed this to happen. But his house now is broken up. So therefore, he says, he's speaking to the apostles, be you also ready. For in such an hour, this is the answer to, his, to, to their question, and this is what the whole study is about that he's giving them, you don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to catch everybody off guard. Therefore, be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not. All the time that you thought it was going to happen, that's not when it's going to happen. When you don't think it's going to happen, that's when it's going to happen. So in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Then he poses this question. They asked him a question. Now he's asking them a question. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? So this is his question for them. So you, you, you asked me three questions. I answered all three of your questions. Now I have a question for you. Who is going to be a faithful and wise servant, and who's going to give meat to the household, meat in due season to the household? Which of you? He's not speaking to the whole household. He's speaking to the apostles who he will give rule over the household. And he's asking these rulers over the household, which of you will be faithful? Because if you're faithful, I will feed you with meat in due season. Meet in due season here, in this context, does not mean, oh, it's the last great day. We should preach something about the last great day. Oh, it's the Feast of Trumpets. Let's give a message about the Feast of Trumpets. That's not what this is. That's great. That's meet in due season. But that's not what Christ is talking about. What Christ is talking about here is as the prophecies unfold and as the world turns, the pressure that is going to come upon the church, upon Israel, spiritual Israel, will be so profound that if you are malnourished, you will fail. So he's asking his apostles, which of you will be faithful that as the world turns, I can give you the appropriate meat that you can then give to my people and nourish and strengthen them? That no matter how hot it gets, In the summer, no matter how hot it gets, my people, the people who know their God, shall do exploits. When everybody's panicking, we're excited because we're well-fed, we're well-nourished. We have oil in our lamps. How do we have oil in our lamps? Because we've been eating the meat in due season. By being spiritually nourished, we have oil. So even if we fall asleep, we have oil. And when it comes, when, and when it comes in an hour that we weren't expecting, we have oil. Because we've been receiving the meat in due season. And that means, in fact, let me just look for a scripture. Well, I'm pretty sure it's in, uh, Matthew. But I just want to share this with you. Turn with me to Matthew 13. Matthew 
in Matthew 13 and verse 52, where he says this. In fact, let me just back up a little bit to verse 50. We'll just, we'll go to verse 49. So shall it be at the end of the age. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just. Two will be in the field. One will be taken. The other will be left. When he comes, he's going to send out his angels with a trumpet blast. And they're going to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. One will be taken, paralambano. The other will be left. At the end of the age, the angels shall come and sever the wicked from the just. The just are those who accept Christ. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And then he uses the same phrase that he used at the end of Matthew 18, that he'll use at the end of Matthew 24. There shall be. There shall be. No ifs, ands, or buts. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In other words, those with the Holy Spirit, those with the expectation that they'll be in the kingdom, are going to come up short. And there's going to be, he says here, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And he says the same thing in Matthew 18, that if we don't forgive every man his brother from his heart, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so he goes on now and he says, Jesus says unto them, Have you understood all these things? They said unto him, Yes, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, the good man of the house. So every scribe that's skilled is like the good man of the house, which brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. So we bring out things old. There's truths that we have that are rock solid, and we've been teaching them for decades. But then the world is changing. The world is turning. And there are things that we didn't understand before. And so the good man of the house brings out things new. Meet in due season. So meet in due season comes from those instructed in the kingdom of heaven. Let's go back to Matthew 24. Verse, let's go back to 44. Therefore, because of this thief that's going to come like a, uh, in the middle of the night, unex- unexpectedly, excuse me. Therefore, be you also ready. Because in the hour that you don't think, that's when he comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Among my apostles here, which of you will be faithful and wise, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household? And why has he put him over? to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. So there is a role for the good men of the house. And his role is to bring out of the scriptures things old and things new. Meat in due season. To nourish the body so that the body can withstand whatever pressure is put upon it. And the people who know their God shall do exploits. 
In fact, let's quickly just look at that scripture in Daniel. I believe it's in Daniel 9 or 11. I think it could be 11. Let's just quickly look at that. Daniel 11. And let's take it from... Let's take it from verse 31. We're just cutting into the prophecy, but in verse 31, an arm shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate, that makes Jerusalem desolate. They shall place the abomination that makes desolate and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Brother shall betray brother. There's going to be betrayal. Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God, somebody's been giving meat in due season. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. So those who are skilled in the kingdom of heaven, who can bring out things old and things new, the good men of the house, they that understand among the people shall instruct many. They, they need to understand why are all these things happening? What's happening? We'll bring out the word and show them. They shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword. So when this abomination that makes desolate moves in, and it's, it's really set to destroy physical Israel, they that understand and instruct are also taken down. And so the good men of the house, who will be faithful? That no matter what... God's word is God's word. Versus, hey, if it, if a sword is involved, like, hey, I didn't know it was going to get that serious. If we're talking swords, well, let me step down. I didn't know it was going to get that serious. But no. They that understand among the people shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be helped with a little help. But many shall cleave to them with flatteries, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end. Again, the, the 70 times 7 is a purging process, because it is yet for a time appointed. Let's go back to Matthew 24. Verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Truly I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. This whole passage is about timing. If we get the timing wrong, everything goes wrong. All other deception hangs upon the timing. That the understanding of the, the proper understanding of the scripture puts the timing of Christ's return in the proper sequence, the proper order, the proper context. But if he shall say, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants. Who are his fellow servants? Let's just quickly go back to Matthew 18.
We'll break into verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. So we see who the fellow servant is. And the betrayal is not following Matthew 18. Let's go back to Matthew 24, and we'll just finish up. And verse 48, if that evil servant, the good man of the house, shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, the, what does it say, the fish rots from the top, from the head down, right? Leader of the, 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 the pace of the leader is the pace of the pack. So the culture is set by the good men of the house. So now we have this culture where he's saying, hey, my Lord delays his coming, so the teaching changes. And uh, he says, he shall eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of. This is the whole theme that Christ is pressing here. And he shall cut him asunder. The good men of the house. The good men of the house who had the Holy Spirit who had the expectation of being in the kingdom of God. He says, he's going to come when he's not aware, shall cut him asunder. Again, the um, angels, when they come, they will separate the faithful from the unfaithful and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Who are the hypocrites? What, what, what portion is it that the good man of the house ends up getting? Let's go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. And we don't have to go far. Matthew 23, verse 13. Uh, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Uh, He goes on, hypocrites. And so in Matthew 24... When he says he'll appoint them, let's go back to Matthew 24, where he says he'll appoint them their portion with the hypocrites, it's the people who have been cursed by him in Matthew 23. So, so this person who should have been part of the you, not the them, gets cut asunder and put into the category of the them, the hypocrites. And he'll appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be, not there may be, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The last um, passage I want to go to uh, before we just talk openly is 1 Thessalonians 5. So he ends Matthew 24. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth if you're not faithful, if you think I've delayed my coming, and then he likens it to the ten virgins. And they didn't have oil. And the reason they didn't have oil is because they didn't have meat. We need meat in due season to be filled with the Spirit. 
And so somebody needs to be faithful to give the meat in due season so that we can have the, the, the oil in our lamps. Otherwise, we don't have the right understanding. Let's see the, a, a parallel passage now in First Thessalonians from Paul in verse, five, uh, verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So he's giving the same teaching that Christ gave. So even though he was not with the uh, original apostles, Christ taught him what he taught them. So he's telling them, you know perfectly, you already know this, that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, just like the days of Noah. So the, the day of the Lord is like the days of Noah. It includes destruction first, then the passage into the new civilization. So, so Noah didn't just move into the new civilization. The destruction came first. It's part of the package. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child. So Christ says it's the beginning of, uh, all these are the beginning of sorrows, but women know that when you go into labor pains, it's not constant. There are moments of peace. And then suddenly it comes back, but, but significant. So there's going to be this moment of peace in the birth, in the labor pains. And then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, remember there's a them and there's a you. You, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So that's not the intention for you. You are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Remember, there's a, there's a you and a them. We're in the you category. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Matthew 18. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort yourselves together and build each other up, edify one another, even as you're doing. And we're begging you, brethren, we're begging you to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So there's good men of the house. The original apostles were the good men of the house. But now he's saying there are men that have been given to you who are good men of the house to give you meat in due season. That's their labor. So they're over you in the Lord. They're over the household. And they admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. For giving meat in due season. So that we can have oil in our lamps. So that we can transfer over into the new civilization as this one comes to an end. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That it's the work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves, Matthew 18. Because if we're not at peace among ourselves, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we exhort you, brethren, 
warn them that are unruly. And the word warn here is the same word as admonish in verse 12, which is nufeteo, which means to warn, to admonish, to, to put in mind. So the same work that the good men of the house are doing, he's now saying to the brethren, you need to warn them that are unruly. And we don't really use this word much in our society, unruly. But unruly really means ungovernable, uh, irregular in conduct, disorderly, disrespectful. That it's amongst the brethren. We, We need to warn one another. It's not all on the good men of the house to do all the admonishing. When you see unruly behavior, you need to have an understanding that this there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we don't want that. So when we see brethren who are unruly, ungovernable, behaving in, a, in, a, in an uncomely manner, in a disrespectful manner, it's not just on the ministry to correct that. He uses the same word of the brethren. Warn them, admonish them. Because of love. Because of where we're going. And what God is looking for from us. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, much less in the body. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. I want to use um, two um, metaphors that I think are relevant. One is the youth choir today. Uh, Such a beautiful sound. I I was mesmerized. It was just an absolutely beautiful sound. You don't get that without unity. You don't get that without somebody being the good men of the house and providing leadership so that the unit can work as a unit. If everybody just wants to do what they want to do, we will never produce that sound. So that's one. The other metaphor I want to use is the Ottawa congregation. So getting to this feast was chaos for them. The van, there was a number of brethren that were going to come together in a van. Uh, One in particular needed the van because he could not sit in a car. And so they need to have a special van where he could kind of not lie down but spread out. On the day they were to pick up the van to come, it wasn't available. It was a long weekend, and the people who had it rented would not, did not return it. No van. So they are scrambling now, trying to figure out what they can do to get everybody here. And it's like there's, just, there's nothing they can do. In the end, there were a few cars that they decided they'd take these cars instead, so people were dispatched to the cars And one brother, the one that needed the van, he couldn't make it. So they had to leave him behind. So everyone else came. The one brother is left behind. The congregation was torn up over this. How can we be here and he's there? In the end, they came up with the idea that they could rent the van here. There would be a van available in Collingwood. And one of the brothers drove the van from Collingwood all the way back to Ottawa to pick up this brother and bring him back. 
so that they could all be together as a family here at the congregation. Yeah, this is... That, that is how a congregation, that is how a family functions. It's not like, hey, we're here, oh well. It's like, how can we be here and he's there? What can we do? And so I think in both the choir, there's a unity between the members and the leader that's a healthy unity. It's not dysfunctional. And everybody's happy with it, and there's an outcome. And in the case with the congregation, there's a unity of the brethren. They have no local elder. This is a family functioning as a family, making decisions as a family. And so these are adults making their own decisions. And so I think both of these metaphors are relevant to us. We're not children. We're children of God, but we're all adults. We don't need a minister dictating to us every move we make and restricting our freedoms. There's freedom in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. There's freedom in Christ. And a lot of us have suffered from dysfunctional leadership. But as a result of that dysfunctional leadership, we cast off leadership now. We do what we want when we want, and we don't care about anybody who wants to call themselves an elder. So I think we run the risk, not all of us, but some, of going from one extreme to the other. So one extreme is almost this kind of boot camp culture where, you know, you have to do everything the minister says. And then the other extreme is this anarchy where ministers don't matter. And yet when we read the passages here, we need meat in due season. There needs to be a good man of the house, good men of the house who are scribes skilled in the scriptures who can bring out things old and things new and provide the meat so that we can have oil in our lamps. So the, the conversation I would like to have is how do we get to a place where we have figured out the right balance? And we are all free in Christ. We all have the Holy Spirit, but we are just so full of mutual respect. We would never harm one of these little ones. We would never despise. We would rather cut off our hand than harm one of these little ones. We'd rather pluck out our eye than harm one of these little ones. And so how do we get to harmony and unity as brethren? And how do we get to mutual respect with, with the elders? That we don't have, we don't have Gestapo-like culture, but we don't have anarchy either. I'm just curious what your thoughts are and just, can we have a conversation? Can we, do we have some uh, floating mics? Oh, great. So thoughts, comments, questions. And I think um, while you're thinking, I will say I am very, very proud of CGI. I think that when I look at some of the other churches of God, not to put them down, they're doing what they do, there's different administrations, it's far too hierarchical. And it allows um, power and human ego are a deadly brew. It's a deadly mix. When you give power to somebody with ego, it's terrible. Very, very dangerous. And I don't care who the person is. And so when you create too much hierarchy, you could have all the Holy Spirit you like. That's a very tempting position to be in, where you have so much power and control. So I think just the hierarchical nature 
of some of these organizations lends itself to dysfunction. That's at the top. Those under the hierarchy are also prone to dysfunction. There's a lot of people that just want to be told what to do. The the Nazis just did what they were told. And when they were held to account, they said, I was just following orders. They didn't want any accountability. So you tell me what to do. If it's wrong, it's your fault. (laughs) So hierarchy is dangerous. I think the only hierarchy we have is what the Bible says. That there are some who have the rule over you, not to rule you, but to feed you, to serve you. And I think CGI, I won't say we have it totally right, but we're getting there. And we're creating a culture that's healthy. The risk is we can be abused, right? Uh, We can abuse the freedom in Christ. And so, you know, how do we, how do we operate with freedom but not be irresponsible? I guess would be my question. And how do we help each other? Great. So um, let's let's start with uh, Sydney, brother Sydney, and then also Victor, brother Victor here has a question. Oh, and sorry, Frank as well. Okay, go ahead. It's true, uh, purity and honesty. Though I missed the first yeah. word. I heard honesty. Yeah, we can have proper leadership, and I admire, always have, the Church of God International, because they utilize all their talent. Not just in one place. That's yes. Exactly. That's right. So we all have gifts. So let's use the gifts that God has given. Very good. Yeah, I just want to uh, comment on a few discussions that I've had with people over the week. And what you're saying about the uh, Ottawa congregation, um, I've seen things similar in my end happening, and I'm sure everybody does at one point or another. But let's keep in mind that these are very interesting times. Satan the devil is out there. He's a mythical figure. Strange when you look at today's society. Let's go celebrate Halloween and these spirits that are out there. Well, you know what? There's a spirit on the other side. So when we look at this con- uh, congregation that came down from Ottawa and the situation that arose, they went back to get the one man. I coached sports all for one and one for all. We're a team. You have difficulties, but you know what? We all have to pick up our boots, and we got to all take care of each other. But just if, just if, because we don't know what's going on out there, <clears throat> Satan was involved with that. God could be very well sitting back and say, how much love is there in that congregation? You would drive all the way back to Ottawa to take care of one brethren? What does the scripture say about patience? Had another discussion tonight with one of the uh, uh, ladies from uh, Toronto. Same type of situation, let's say. There is stuff going on. We have to be aware of what's going on around us. Because spiritually, scripturally, prophetically, there's stuff going on. Do we have the patience to sit back, forgive, and let's take a look at what's going on? I think that was a very prime example Maybe God is giving us little things like that can happen. Be prepared to step up, step back, and realize what's going on. Count to ten and be ready to help your brethren. Because love goes a lot deeper than just keeping the feast. Love goes deeper when you got to go get your partner 
and back, go there and come back and bring them to the feast. Very good. I think, uh, Victor? Yeah, I think, I, my goodness, I think we could write a book about this. Um, just uh, referring to the Ottawa congregation, if I could put these these three things in front of the Ottawa congregation, I could put them in order, any order and they'd get the order right. So if I said, you, God, and the congregation, put them in order, one on top of the other, I'm sure they should they would put it the way it should be. God at the top, the congregation second, and you at the bottom. That includes pastors, deacons, and brethren. All have to put themselves at the bottom. It doesn't work any other way. Just as Eliah, God, then he put the people, uh, the people of Israel. He's just a servant. I'm at the bottom. And if we don't have that right, I don't see. And a lot of people will tell you, "Oh, this is the way it goes." But they don't live it. They don't talk the talk. Uh, they talk the talk. Don't walk the walk. I just wanted to read a scripture. And one thing we can we can do is learn from some of the mistakes that that even the apostle the apostles made. Peter made a, a grave mistake when he when uh, Jesus was telling them, of course, uh, in the Lord's Supper, he uh, said, "You will all fall away." And and then Peter pulls a me instead of a we. He says. Um, is he all fall away? And it says, Peter said, even if they all fall away, remember the example we gave? Yeah. Even if they all fall away, I will not fall away. So it's me instead of we. Peter uses another example where he does actually talk about we and not me. But here he's talking me. He says, they might, but I won't. And of course, Jesus says to him, I assure you, you will be, you know, you will, the crock will crow twice and you will betray me. And then instead of saying, you know, you know me better than I do. So I, we're going to have to talk about this. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He doubles down. He says, and then he says in, insistently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So he doubles down. And we know how the rest goes. But the thing about Peter is, don't forget, um, the great wisdom he obtained later after Christ died, uh, if you read his, his, um, his, his uh, both his writings, you understand he doesn't, speak before, he doesn't think, uh, he doesn't, uh, um, he thinks before he speaks in the second part. In this part, he's almost like reacting, you know, he's, he's talking before he's thinking, you know, like, uh, he curses people and he's, uh, you know, the, the absolute alpha male. And, and in his writings, you could see the wisdom he attained after he realized what this was all about. And, uh, I'm impressed with what he did at the end of his life where he, then he got it. Now you will die. Uh, Jesus even foretold him that. And he says, well, execute me, uh, crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be crucified as my Savior was. And this was recorded by the uh, Christian historian Eusebius. So one of the things is learning from the apostles. The other thing I just wanted to add was we look at things like the Beatitudes, you know, in Matthew. And, in, and we don't know the seven blessings of Revelation. The Beatitudes, they don't tell you how to become a Christian. They are, they're, they are telling you who is a Christian. And same with the uh, blessings of Revelation. They reveal to you uh, how to be ready for the, they, they describe someone who's ready for the kingdom. So I think we have to, you know, I wish I could just be one sentence, but it isn't. Yeah, no. But, um, yeah, uh, we have to, and, and to me it's like, if we're, if we're, uh, don't want to be caught like, like, you know, a thief in the night, maybe uh, in the night we should be ready as if the Lord is coming tonight 
be in that mindset, then you don't have to worry when he's, when he's going to come. Yeah, very, very good. Very, very good. Just one thing I would like to just refine, and that is let's, let's not mix our metaphors. When it comes to service, the brethren are here. Yes, the elders, etc., are here. Christ is at the bottom. You cannot go lower than Christ in service. He made himself of no reputation, and he sacrificed all. And nobody can serve more than Christ served. Yeah, and 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 to that point, I, I see what you're saying. But um, to that point, uh, uh, Christ served so he can take his rightful place as ruler. Whereas Satan, he uh, he wants to assume the authority so he can be served. So that's the difference. So yes, you're you're correct. That's correct. Yes, very good. I think there's two parts to that. There's yes. the service, brethren, eldership, Christ. There's oversight, Christ, right. eldership, brethren. Very good. There's two separate two sides, two, two different things. Very good. I think there's one here. Yeah. Okay, so um, not just in church but in life in itself, we, we see where relationships fall apart because of human relations. We just can't get along um, from the highest person in society to the lowest. And it's the same in church where um, the church don't always split because of doctrinal reasons. Sometimes it's because of egotistical. Yeah, many times. You know, heights. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think the question would be, how do we put a system in place to break that cycle and and get our young men because they're going to be the leaders in the church in the future. So, how can we put a system in place for our young men um, to to be better leaders, not just um, theologically, but to put the ego on the yeah. back page and, and put the interests of the church and, and the people in front so we don't have the kind of split that we've had over the years. Yeah, what a great question. Um, I'm going to take a crack at answering, and then I would like to hear uh, what other brethren think. Uh, I think the system, this is just a fantastic question. I think the system that Christ gave us is Matthew 18. Be careful not that you do not despise one of these little ones and that it's better for you to pluck out your eye than you look with disdain at a brother or sister. Better that you cut off your hand or your foot than that you harm a brother or sister. I think if we had that sense of we are in the presence of the saints of God and we must never do anything to harm a member of the body of Christ, and so we're, we're, we're terrified of being somebody who could inflict pain upon a member of the body of Christ. But if we do, or if they do to us, we follow the system that Christ laid down. And ultimately, it always results in us forgiving from our heart our brother or sister. It always results in reconciliation. I think that's the system of leadership that we all have to follow. And then I like that you separated, you know, theological leadership from relationship leadership and i think relationship leadership is matthew 18 but i in all my decades in the church i can i can safely say i have never seen matthew 18 carried out and i've i've been in churches where i've heard you need to do matthew 18 on this person from the minister you need to do matthew 18 on this person and what that meant was we're putting that person out of the church and matthew 18 is is the exact opposite it's about keeping people in the body. It's about reconciliation. And, and so I can say I've safely, I haven't seen it. 
but it comes from the brethren. I think we have to be educated in it. We have to put our egos aside. And we have to see each other as members of the body of Christ and discern the body of Christ and never be in a position where we have harmed the body of Christ. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind hearing some others on this particular question. Uh, is that, go ahead. I want to say oh. that. Um, Sorry, we'll come back to you in a second. Yeah. Okay. Is it on this question? Is it on this question, or we can come back to you? Is it a new topic, or is it this particular question that Michael Rose, Mike Michael raised? Let me come back to you, Sister Rose. Uh, just one question, from, and then I'll come back to you. I just want to tell you, since you never um, allow me to say what I'm saying, I never allow I you to tell say? it to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just want to stay on the topic. You, you can. Come, I'll come back to you. Just give me. I asked you. I just asked you, is it on this, is it answering this question? If it is, then let's stay on this. Sister Rose? Take the mic if you, if you. I just didn't want to change the subject right now. Sister, I wouldn't want to be in the position where I've caused you pain. Yeah. Can you give her the mic, uh, Mr. Okay, so Frank, is your on this topic? Yes. Just to help you out, because when at one point I was as young as you and I was involved in coaching. What happened was I got dedicated and I got focused. I got trained to be a good coach. I did a good job, gave respect to the kids, the parents, the people were coming to me and they liked the way I coached. I could chew a kid apart, but the parent was glad because I treated the kid fairly. So what can you do and so forth? The, the example was given. Christ was a servant. He was, who's going to do any better than him? When you can get to that stage because you care about other people like I did with kids and coaching in this church, you're not just going to open the door for the uh, senior or whatever the case is. You want to do something because you want to do something. You got to have that passion because you got to believe that it's right and you got to go after it. Like Christ said, he's on a mission. Adrian and all the ministers, they're on a mission because they believe this is important. And you got to believe that and work with the others and show, show that you really care. And when you care, that makes a difference because when you start to care, you get involved. And when you get involved, things take off. But you got to have that desire and get focused and keep all the garbage away from you. It's going to make a difference. And the only reason I'm saying this part, because I see the same principles involved in sports. When you look at all the stuff, you look in biblical teaching, corporations, sports, a lot of the, the, the way we le- uh, live, a lot of these principles are in our society today, and we're forgetting that. We don't see it. But if you really get focused, you'll see it, if okay. that helps. Great. Uh, yes, Brother Wilson. Uh, Brother Adrian, thanks for... Um, Can you just talk into the mic? Yeah. I don't like mics, but... It's hard to hear you. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, the Bible study and the example that was given about the Ottawa convers- uh, congregation. It's actually um, moving to hear that happen because since I came to CGI, uh, I know there is a lot of love from members within CGI 
to each other. But collectively, I think I struggle to see that manifest. And I have several conversations with some of the brethren to see something else happen. Because I know some of us are here. And some of the other brethren, they're still at their home. And I even spoke to several, several members in the leadership about putting something in place, you know, so that uh, when it comes to transportation, we don't have to be running around just using our cars. Maybe we can actually get a bus, rent a bus, you know, so we can come here together and build the relationship that we need to build. On the other hand, what I also uh, discover is, like, we won't really get here or where we need to be because we're fragmented. Because when the days of the feast comes, we're not going to one place. Everybody just going everywhere else. So then we're still going to enjoy the feast. But I think this is an opportunity where we can get to know each other more. Just on the Sabbath, we meet once a week. But this is a time when you're together for like eight days. And you know what? You can get to know each other, you know, fellowship more. But um, the things that struck me, there's a scripture that says, when the Messiah, when he came looking for the sheep, he came looking for Israel. He said, but they all weren't there. But there was 99. But there was one missing. And he lead the 99 and went looking for the last one. So that example was very powerful. And I think if we can get to that state of mind, and we are moved by doing something, not just thinking it, but put it into action, we can do something better. And I think we have the potential to do it. And I think, I don't know who's going to start it, but I think, you know, a lot of members want this to happen, and there is conversation about how do we get it done. It's not like it's not here. It is here. It is here. So we just need to get that extra push. Yeah. yeah. So, thanks. Very good. Yeah, it definitely is here. There are many other acts of kindness and love that uh, I've been privy to. And uh, brethren are engaging in, in Holy Spirit kindness. Adrian, when you speak about the uh, coming of Jesus, and you speak that it's a, it could be a calamity for the Gentiles, would you explain that to me a little bit more? Uh, maybe if we go to Zechariah 12. So, so the way the prophecies unfold, God uses the Gentiles to punish his people. When his people repent, he then rescues his people and puts down the Gentiles. So this is a pattern that we see over and over. We see it with uh, Assyria. We see it with Babylon. Uh, we see it with uh, the Greeks and the Romans. And here in Zechariah 12, he says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, says the Lord, which stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. So Christ tells us it will be surrounded with armies. And now Zechariah tells us that God will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the Gentiles surrounding it, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, that is Gentiles. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. 
So they are all in agreement that these people must be destroyed. They must be taken out of Jerusalem. And they all agree, and God says, I'm coming to cut them in pieces. In that day, says the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. I'm going to look kindly on Judah. I'm going to destroy the Gentiles. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. So remember, they had to flee for their lives. So they're still there in, in Jerusalem. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. So they're going to burn up the heathen. I'll make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. The heathen will be like wood. And like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about, on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. So he's going to save all of Judah and then Jerusalem. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that came against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. All of this is what Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 30. It's coming, it's more detail here. He's going to pour out his spirit. Joel says that as well. In fact, Peter thought that's what was happening on Pentecost. I'm going to pour out my spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And so Christ says, you won't see me again until you shall say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they're saying, now they're looking upon him and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because he's coming to defend them. He says, um, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They now recognize the Messiah. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadad-Ridmon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family apart, the family of house, and the family of house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. So I'm not sure exactly what that part means, but it's showing that Christ is coming to defend Jerusalem. That's why we mustn't be deceived, and we mustn't go out to the desert thinking he's in the desert when his people are being genocided. When his people are being genocided, he's coming to rescue them and put down the heathen. Does that answer the question? Zechariah 12, 12 and 14, if you, if you read that. Okay. Brother Wilson. Oh, sorry, Jim Leith. Sorry. Oh, that, and then uh, here. Sorry. sorry. That um, sheep that was lost was probably because he was bashful. And the reason I say that is uh, one of the necessary uh, ingredients for us to to have uh, in our fellowship and in our congregations is to talk to one another, to have that conversation. And uh, one fellow 
went on his own, and it was a good thing. He went, got the van, brought our other fellow from Ottawa here. But then the, uh, we ended up talking about it more, and we have to go home. So at the end of the story, we were able to take the van, the rented van back, and uh, I have a van. We're going to take Ernie in our van, and we're going to go in convoy. We've worked it out so that we have the whole group going together Beautiful. Uh, home. Beautiful. Safely. Beautiful. That's great. Right there. Uh, Ezra. Uh, Ezra here first. First, uh, let's go. I think it was here first, yeah. and then we'll come back. So I just kind of quick comment. I think I'm going back a few uh, questions. Uh, on topic that's back a few comments, I think, but um, uh, about the balance between, like, uh, you know, respect for leadership and the freedom in the church, or how, um, it's there's there's a a quote I heard once is like pe people don't like organized religion, but the opposite of that is disorganized religion, which is worse. <laughs> And then uh, the question becomes, um, um, how do we organize it? And you, you mentioned a lower hierarchy, and like in the business world, they call that a flat organizational structure, and that takes a lot of competence in the lower rung because it's all basically the lower rung. And I think to make that work, it's all of us um, doing what we can to... Uh, be the most competent we can um, in in the church, I guess. Yeah, that's all, all I have to say. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's a body, and a body has functions, and different parts of the body do different things, but they all work together. Yeah, uh, I think is it? Uh, yes. Are are we still on uh, answering the, the question before Sister Rose speaks? And if we are, can you please paraphrase that for me again so I, I know I'm answering it? Yeah, I think we left that question now, so Sister Rose can speak okay. any time. But the, the, the question was, uh, Michael asked the question, um, beyond theological leadership, what is the system that we can pass on to the younger generation as they move into leadership roles. Is, is that a fair summary of the question? Yes. So that's, that, that was the question that we were answering before. Did you want to comment on that? There. No, I think I, it's okay. We've okay. had enough examples. Okay. Well, the, the, the one that I would give that we had earlier was the one of the, of when, when Xerox was on its way down, the president was brought in to, and, and what she did was have the VPs go out and talk to the customers. Right. Service is yes. what she did. Yes. Right? So the other example I had is is we all know that Disney is, is world famous for service. Don't care what else you think about them. They teach other companies how to do good service. They have the same rule. Every manager, no matter what level, one day a month, has to go and work in the front line serving a customer, except the park janitors, the two of them that go out and clean up the trash and the things that people litter because they won't even let the managers do that job because they answer the most questions a day from the tourists, from, from their guests, as they call them. 
they look at the guy sweeping up the garbage as the best service provider. That's their lesson to be learned. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think those are all very good examples. They're all very inspiring examples. I get nervous when we're looking to secular people as to how we should behave. I think those are wonderful examples and they're, all, they're instructive. We've got the Word of God and we are members of His body. And, and what, what the scripture says, in fact, let's go there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 14, where Paul says, you've got to desire spiritual gifts. Pursue your gifts, but especially the gift to prophesy, because that allows you to edify the body. So the mindset that we should have, so he says here in verse 3, he that prophesies speaks unto men edification, exhortation, and comfort. So this whole notion that here we are, the body of Christ, and whatever gift you have it's given to you to edify the body. So everybody here with the Spirit has gifts of the Spirit, the purpose of which is to edify the body. So, you know, with all due respect to Xerox and Walt Disney and all those guys, because they do wonderful things, they don't have this. And this is what we have. We, we all have gifts, and what we've got to pursue in a spirit of First uh, Corinthians 13, agape love, is edifying each other, building up the body, not tearing it down. Uh, and we can all do this. And I think when we all function in this organic way, where we're constantly seeing each other as the saints of God, and how we can build each other up instead of tearing each other down, this is what's going to work. And, and this is what's going to do something absolutely miraculous, where the Walt Disneys of the world and the Xerox CEOs of the world are going to look at these us nobodies and say, how on earth did you guys pull that off because we followed this, which they don't have. I think I saw, yes. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, I agree with your uh, analysis of the body has, we have one body, but we have many parts. Um, Like we had the ushers coming in and, and greeting people in that helps a lot in the congregation. When I went to, started going to Kitchener, I just was felt so welcomed. Um, and <laughs> funny story, when I was sitting at the back and and they were doing the sound checks, and I kept saying, "Turn it up, turn it up," and they finally just said, "Kelly, get up to the front <laughs> so you can hear," because I wasn't hearing properly. <laughs> so they were like, finally just said, "Get up to the front." So the, now I'm at the front so I can hear properly. Right. And the, the second thing I wanted to say was um, uh, Reg's comment about the Gentiles, where do they stand? Um, we have to remember that we're not Gentiles anymore. That's right. We're, we're Israel. So, Reg, is that clear to you that we are not Gentiles? We are grafted into Israel. Yes. Yeah. Very so good. Thank you. I just Thank wanted you. to make sure yeah. that Reg realized yeah, very that. Good. And I think uh, Brother Sidney's comment earlier, he said, you know, we use all the talent. I think the counterpoint to that is we have to volunteer. We have to use our gifts and come forward. Don't, don't be sitting in the back there thinking, oh, I, there's nothing I can do. All of us can do something. And so everybody, let's, let's do this together. So I think to Brother Sidney's point, he says, I like CGI because they use all the talent, but maybe not all the talent, because a lot of us don't volunteer when we could. We have things we could offer. I think uh, Sister Lori has a, if we can get a microphone here as well. So. 
Okay. Oh, you just wanted to comment on this particular comment. Okay. Build off of what um, Pastor Adrian was saying, because um, like I keep thinking back to First um, Corinthians chapter twelve, where so it goes through all um, like how yeah how Paul likened um, the church body to like the physical human body. I think to that point, um, like you if if you're an ear, you know you shouldn't be sitting around saying oh like I wish I was I was an eye because if I was an eye I could do like exactly what the, you know. But no, we all have different parts, and I think we have to recognize like pray to God and like ask him to reveal, you know, what we, what our function is in the church. So that way we can serve in that function. Once we are all serving to the best of our ability in the function that God has given us, then we can be a well-oiled machine. Then we can have the body move forward instead of the body fighting against each other um, and destroying itself. Um, I think that's how we can move forward and just yeah, yeah, work as a team. Critical, wonderful. I saw, I saw Lisa with her hand up at some point. Okay, so Wilson and... Testing. Oh, Okay. Uh, Brother Adrian, um, is it possible you can uh, explain um, uh, the difference between the people that now occupies the land of Israel, uh, Jerusalem? Because if when Yeshua comes, he's coming to defend the land and the inhabitants of the land, does that mean those um, Zimbabweites that now occupy the land that he has to protect them or is he coming to protect only the Jewish people that live there next question now the Jews that are not in the land at the time of his return who is, rep- who is protecting them because we know when you look at the, the makeup of the people that occupy that land today and the people that are outside of the land that identify themselves as Jews, then trying to put that picture together, then it becomes problematic. So is it twofold that he's protecting the land and the people? So so, I'd like to hear your uh, So the very quick answer, because this is going to be a longer discussion, the abomination that makes desolate and the atonement are to, to, to desolate the land and the people, and the atonement is for the land and the people, and that when Christ returns, he defends the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but with a blast of a trumpet, he gathers his elect from the four corners of the earth. So wherever they've been, Deuteronomy 30, Moses said, wherever they've been scattered to, to the uttermost parts of the earth, from there will he gather them and bring them back to the land. So so it's both the land and the people that are made desolate and that are also cleansed with the atonement and those that have been scattered from the furthest corners of the earth. The angels will go, gather them, and bring them back. And I realize we're running late, but I know Lisa had her hand up, and I see Michael has his hand. How's everybody doing? It's 9.09. If we go another five minutes, is that okay? Five minutes? Okay. Um, so who is next? Lisa's next. Okay. So the comment that I had was your original question. How do we find this balance? And tying it into Michael's question, what tools can we give our younger generation? Um, I think a really key ingredient is purpose. 
vision and purpose. We need to plan for these things. Ottawa's situation didn't just happen last week or overnight. From what I understand, they planned all year for this. They saved all year. They knew that it was a need they were going to have, and they prepared well in advance in order for this to happen. The fact that the van was unavailable to them was a last-minute hiccup, and by testing, we got to see what they were truly made of. And when you prepare in advance, things may happen, but it's easier to pick up the ball and keep running and to keep God in focus. Michael, the younger generation needs to understand that there needs to be purpose and planning and preparation. A healthy church doesn't just happen by accident. It happens by eating together, fellowshipping together, getting to know each other together, um, preparing uh, public speaking, like, or, uh, preparing like a family fellowship and understanding how to learn to speak, how to feed the congregation. There has to be practice, like today's youth day. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to song lead. Teach them how to speak. Teach the younger generation how to prepare for the task of becoming a healthy congregation. It does not happen by accident. Even, even, David, when he went to meet Goliath, had all the faith in the world, but he took five stones because maybe the first one wouldn't take. He knew that God would stand behind him. He had all that faith. But he didn't just go out with one and say, oh, whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. he, he knew that he needed to be prepared. And as followers of Christ... We also need to be prepared. We need to arm ourselves. We need to put on that armor. We need to be full of knowledge and understanding and wisdom and to teach the younger generations to do that because they will pick up the slack when we are gone. Very good. And, and there needs to be a healthy respect for our leaders, and that happens in two ways. One, we need to shed whatever we've been imprinted with in our past. We need to... Mm -hmm. We need to forgive those past experiences and we need to move on with a correct view of what God expects of our leaders. And we need to get to know our leaders. Mm -hmm. As a member of the congregations in Ontario, I've been a part of Ottawa, I've been a part of Kitchener, I've been a part of Burlington, I, I've been a member of several congregations. I've had the opportunity to get to know some of our leaders, also as a member of the board of directors. And when you spend personal time getting to know them, you'll understand that each and every one of our members of ministry at this particular point in time are men who care very, very deeply about their sheep. And if you don't understand that about them, how can you respect them? You need to get to know them. Uh, today I saw two elders get down on one knee to be at eye level with the young children they were blessing. I saw an elder pick up a ch ask a child permission to be picked up first. And then the child received a kiss on the cheek because, because Pastor Adrian has an adoration for young children. If you don't see that, how can you respect? You need to get to know your leaders. And then you'll have healthy relationships. Uh -huh.
Very, very good. Thank you. Um, if you don't mind, so Barb and then Amy and then Virginia, just because we haven't heard from these three, and I think that's probably all we have time for. So Sister Barb, Sister Amy, and then Sister Virginia. I just wanted to uh, share with everyone uh, how our church people are organized so everything runs smoothly. One of our gals, uh, Denise, has a book, a three-leaf binder book, and she has it columned all off like a payroll, you know. And every duty that has to be done in our living of our church day, week, or month is outlined in this book. You've probably seen her book, yes. okay? Yeah. And so <laughs> it's on the table, and I can go to it and see who speaks, who's greeting at the door, uh, who's giving out the thank you cards, and I don't think uh, uh, Maggie misses many. Everybody gets a thank you card for different things they do. Um, it's listed when, like, Jim does the choir, I try to look after the kitchen and the, the food that comes in. And the people that aren't designated in that book, they just come and help whoever needs a little bit, undo the, the food, for instance, or put out the song books or pick them up and put them away. And uh, there's never any arguing about saying, well, you don't do anything mm. because everybody, everybody, does something. everybody pitches in. Very and good. Everybody was concerned how we were all going to get here. Right. Very good. <laughs> and uh, same with how we we're going to get home. Okay. But it's all in the Lord's hands, and it's worked out just fine. Beautiful. Thank you. Let's hear from Sister Amy and then Sister Virginia. Okay. Um, sorry. Um, so I just had two separate points that I wanted to touch on. Um, and I apologize if I'm not the most articulate with them. That's okay. Um, I think in terms of, for me, as you know, a young woman in the church, uh, tools that... Some of the tools that would help me, I think, for one thing is um, clarity on the roles that women can have in the church, specifically. Um, one thing that I'm a, I've been a little bit confused about is, um, like, there's definitely structure, and that's for what women and men can do, and that's biblical. However, I feel there's some things that, to me, just don't make sense. Like, um, I know that, I think it's First Timothy 2.12, is about how women shouldn't teach, you know, men. That's not part of our role. Um, but one of the things that I've seen happen in the church is like an infuse or a, like a youth Sabbath school will be led by women, even though technically in God's eyes, like a 20-year-old man is a grown man listening to a woman, a woman teach in the church. So I just don't understand like where those boundaries are set in biblical teachings versus our kind of decisions that have been made. Um, so Sorry. The other, yeah, the other thing is a little bit more irrelevant. If I could just be touched on first. Oh, you want me to address this? Sure. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry. The other is just more irrelevant, and I don't want to get off track of that question. I see. So maybe um, it's it's running late. If you if you want to leave, don't feel that you're in, uh, offending us. If you want to leave, um, we just want to get through these this question and Sister Virginia. So feel free if you want to uh, uh, to, to leave. Um, just very quickly on your first point. Um, a lot of churches have misunderstood the writings of Paul to think that women have no role in the church, they cannot speak in the church, and, and they really are oppressed uh, in, in many churches. And, and that robs the church, that women have intelligence, they have talents, they have gifts, they have abilities that we can all be blessed by. And so by misunderstanding the writings of Paul, women have been oppressed. 
Um, in terms of a, a woman teaching in Fuse, uh, as long as uh, a person, a, a young person, is at home, they're a child. And so a woman teaching the children of the church is 100% appropriate. Um, what we don't have, though, is women taking the lead in, in a formal worship service and teaching uh, men in the congregation. So does that help? Yeah, for sure. Great. Um, the other thing, um, in terms of, um, you know, uh, helping raise, you know, the youth of the church, I think one thing that's very evident to me in the world, but also in the church, is there's definitely generational gaps. Um, and I think that's shared not only between us, you know, not understanding um, the older people or the grown adults in the church, but I know that, like, in terms of my personal experience, and I don't mean to sound negative or ungrateful, but I've definitely felt like I've never had an issue feeling judged for my decisions or anything by someone my own age. Um, but in terms of the church, like, I've had, you know, older people comment on how I dye my hair or my weight or stuff like that, and I just, you know, to me, it's very ostracizing to have, you know, being commented on and just kind of feeling judged, not only just for my decisions, but just kind of for the gender, like, decisions of my generation that I have no control over. Um, uh, that's so, just been my personal yeah, experience. And I apologize for that experience and the pain that that causes, especially as a young person. Um, what I can say to you, and I don't think you'll find it encouraging, but it's the fact. Um, the harshest, the cruelest, and the meanest people are religious people. What, what, what religion does for people is it justifies cruelty. And so that's just an unfortunate fact. And I think that we have to understand that Matthew 18, you know, uh, things are going to happen, cruel things are going to happen to us, and we just have to rise above it. That in, in all of this religion, there is actually a transformational process taking place. And so there are people who follow religion, and then there are people who follow Christ. And the two are mixed together. So you cannot tell who's who, really, until you see their fruit. And so I think um, for all of us, not just Amy, we are going to suffer pain at the hands of our brothers and sisters. And some of the harshest pain, the deepest pain we will suffer will come from inside the church. I, I wish it was not this way, but Christ tells us it's going to be this way. And then he gives us the formula. Make sure that you don't despise anybody. Make sure that you forgive from your heart. If we want to be in the kingdom, those little children that we saw up here today, we've got to be like that. And just forgive and forget and move on. So, Sister Amy, I don't, I don't have... Um, I don't have an answer for you that I feel good about. Um, welcome to the church, you know. Uh, uh, well, well, what, what we are is we are human beings. We are, we are drawn from humanity. We are drawn from the society around us. We are drawn from dysfunctional families, and we're placed together. And in the process of time, some of us are really being taken over by the Holy Spirit, and we're transforming. Some of us don't belong here, but we're here. Not here, 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 but just church uh, generally. Wheat and tares, all of that. We just have to live through it. And it, it, there's nothing that happens to us that isn't for the good. That, that, that all things will work together for our good.
So I, I'm, you know, hopefully somebody else could uh, say something that perhaps is more encouraging, but, but nothing happens to us that doesn't benefit us in the long run. Uh, Sister Virginia, I think Lori has something encouraging for uh, just to this point. Yeah, so just quickly to this, and then we'll go to uh, Sister Virginia. Can I get a microphone here quickly? Um, Amy, I love you, and you are brilliant. And I know you have a lot. Um, you always have. You, you are very articulate, and I know that you understand a lot of these things. Your walk with God is your walk with God. Like, we, like, we are humans, and people are gonna say things whether you do something good or whether you do something bad. So you just do you. You don't worry about what anyone else says. Um, God knows your heart. Um, people are gonna say thing, say things that, you know, really Christian people shouldn't be saying, and they might not even, they might think that they're doing, um, doing you good or, like, doing it because that's what they feel convicted to do, but you do you. That's, that's all I'm gonna say. And just don't let, don't leave your salvation in someone else's hands like that. Like you, you just push the negative out and you just, you just focus on, um, your path and, and your, everyone's at a different stage in their life. So just, or in their walk with God. So just, you just keep pushing. Okay. And, and, and bless others. Yeah. Don't go into that shell yeah. where you're just thinking about yourself mm-hmm. and make yourself a victim. Just yeah. bless others. Yeah. And then, and, and share more of that stuff yeah. with us because we're here to, we're all here to help. Yeah. We all have experiences uh, that we can, um, definitely share and encourage each other with so yeah i think the greatest thing is just to serve brethren and when you turn around they see all the knives in your back and they're like how on earth is he serving like that and all those knives are in his back because we're not thinking about ourselves we're thinking about others last comment i really apologize for keeping everybody late but it's a good discussion uh sister virginia okay thank you for staying okay i have a little bit story but i won't i will keep it short uh, at first, I was thinking to answer his question, but then I heard Amy. So I will touch a little bit of, uh, you know, like serving in the church. Uh, when we came to CGI, I came from Sunday Keeping Church. I have my children. They call me single mom. I bring my children to the church in a Sunday. Lorenzo drop us to the church. Pastor Dad. And he go and sit in the park reading CGI, uh, Sabbath keeping, uh, materials. And so when he started bringing the children to the church, I think they were started from leaving. And then when he kept finding, he found the CGI in Kitchener. And this is where we attended. When we get there, there's only like maybe five, six, uh, people, a member. And so, there's no children. And then one time I visited with them and then I started going to the church with them. My uh, husband and, and that kitchen congregation, they don't have Sabbath school. They don't have Sabbath school. And I was growing up with Sabbath uh, Sunday Sunday school. And then when my kids, they go to living, I think they had Sabbath school and they're coming home with all the sab- Sabbath keeping uh, doctrines and so when we get there, there's no Sabbath school. I started uh, asking Lorenzo, I said, how come there's no Sabbath school? I hope this is, you're not taking those kids to a cult, you know. And so I asked if I can do Sabbath school because I have two children and the pastor children. And he said, uh, they said, I, Lorenzo said no because there's no, like, a woman would be, no, no reading the Bible or anything. I said, Oh, what kind of church is that? 
So I, no, I, if you're taking those kids to, to church, I will bring materials. So I have to bring materials. I will ask the pastor if it's appropriate because I might be teaching some, you know, like, uh, that's not appropriate because I was in the church. But I, so I'm bringing material I buy from the Bible store and I ask if this is appropriate. It's okay. So you can teach, uh, to the children. So we're doing songs, you know, praying because they need that. They need that to become a leaders in the church or to to grow in the church. They need to start how to pray as little as, and you go to church and they're just sitting there. Well, yeah, you know, they're coloring crayons. But, so we do that. And then one time we're at the feast and I heard that, that again, they said that uh, woman is not supposed to be doing some teaching in the church. So, and uh, I, and then they said that, uh, why is she doing Bible, uh, Sabbath school? She's not even baptized. But then, this one did, did uh, discourage me at all, because I need to be a part of the church, and I, this is the church, my, my kids, and I see there's a future, you know, like, uh, where we can grow. So I insist, is still doing that. And after two years, I studied, I learned, I prayed, and I got baptized. Then I continue uh, helping with the church. Very, uh, no, I, I'm very persistent and strong, maybe. And so with uh, your question, so that's, that's how I... I don't know, but I'm not aspiring to, you know, to go speak in the front or I don't have that ability anyway. So with your question, I think uh, to become like efficient or to help with the church, I've been in church for over 21, this is our 21st uh, feast. I've seen a lot of leadership. I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. It's hard to say that. <laughs> so, but I think number one is willingness. Willingness and the love for God, love what you're doing, and that is love for the church, your brothers and sisters, your willingness and flexibility. So willingness means the sacrifice, because I can see people uh, joining the choir with little ones, how can they be there if the husband or someone is not willing to take care of the little ones? How can be there if they're not, you know, you have that, uh, have that uh, willingness and flexible. But number one is willingness and your love to, to your, to God, to His service, and then the church, then you're building the church. Very good, very good. Um, with that, that'll be the last uh, comment. Why don't we conclude in prayer, and then uh, tomorrow morning we're back here for 11 o'clock service for the for the last great day. Brethren, please stand, and we'll just uh, close in prayer. Father, we uh, come before you at this time, uh, just so grateful, Father, for this environment, uh, first of all, the wisdom of these festivals, but more specifically, the opportunity that we have as a, a temporary congregation uh, here uh, in the wilderness, uh, that we can 
just have these open conversations with one another and explore the scriptures and, and learn from one another. We thank you for the comments uh, this evening. And Father, we uh, pray, specifically Sister Amy's comment about the hurt and judgment that she has uh, experienced. Uh, but all of us, Father, have had this, and this is really part of being in this body. Help us not to be surprised, uh, caught off guard by pain that comes to us from within the body. Uh, Jesus Christ did give us instructions on how to process this and how to handle it. And we pray, Father, that you'll help us to be faithful, that just to have a great love for one another, a great regard to esteem others higher than ourselves, and and to be faithful to the end. Uh, Father, we are part of this incredible, glorious journey. Uh, We thank you so much for this incredible honor and privilege, and we just pray that you'll help us to discern the Lord's body. And, And as we go back to our congregations, uh, help us, Father, to edify the body and to help build a healthy culture and so that we can really take advantage of the freedom that we have in Christ. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you, and we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.